It's a wonderful psalm to sing as we return back to the Lord's Prayer because Jesus, of course, is the man who was blessed. Uh, in him, we cast ourselves, uh, sticking close to him. And of course, this is the prayer where Jesus grabs us and invites us along uh, as, as his siblings in order to address his father, which he, he gives us to us, right? The privilege of saying our father. And so let me just uh, really quickly uh, read for us, uh, again, the, the prayer that's, that's given to us in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest sermon on this section on prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray. Verse 9 of Matthew 6, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, this has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. All right, so this morning it marks a really big shift in, in our look at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we turn to the fourth request, the fourth petition, give us this day our, our daily bread. And so what happens is that the petitions move from your into us or our. To use the language of the King James Version, the very traditional language, right? It's hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And now the petitions move from thy to my. They move to us. They move to our. Now, as we've seen the past few weeks, Jesus teaches us to pray, and this is so important to grasp. Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that is remarkably God-centered, which I don't think is natural for us to think about. So Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that is oriented on the greatness of God. That is where prayer has to begin. And as I've been thinking about this petition all week, this, this daily bread petition, and what, 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 what's come out to me, or the way I've thought about this, that I think is very striking, is how odd it is based on everything that we've, we've heard so far. And what I mean by that is we switch from the majesty of God, all of his, his greatness, and then all of a sudden we do this abrupt switch into our most basic need for bread, for sustenance. And so it feels like we're on this train down a track, all about the majesty and the greatness and the glory of God, and then it's as if the, the track is switched and we fly off into, into what is the most basic need we could possibly have. Wouldn't it make more sense to go from the greatness of God to forgiveness? How can we be in the presence of a great God unless he forgives our debts? Wouldn't it make more sense to, to think of the greatness of God and then, and then Jesus switches to we need that great God to defend us and to protect us and to deliver us. But that's not what Jesus says. We go from God's name uh, being exalted above all. We go from his kingdom. We go from his will to really what is the most mundane, ordinary stuff. See what I mean by having the, the tracks of the train switched? The image I, I kind of have of this, especially if we can grasp this idea of the greatness of God, it kind of reminds me of a ride at an amusement park that's inside. And so, you know, Disneyland's close by. Many of us have been to Disneyland. And so you can think of maybe a Fantasyland ride like Snow White or Peter Pan or maybe even Space Mountain. And, and the idea is you go inside, you escape Anaheim or, or, or even worse, Orlando. You escape them, right? And you go inside and are transported into a new world that uses... Uh, 
light and it uses sound to take you into a new place. And so what would happen, of course, if there was an emergency and then abruptly they, they just turn on all the lights and all of a sudden you're, you're taken out of the fantasy and you see the track and you see the emergency exit doors and you see all the fire hydrants or fire extinguishers that are hung on the wall. That's the image I have of this prayer. From the greatness of God to the bread on our tables. Now we've seen the last three weeks this prayer invites us to consider the greatness of God and our need for him. And then the light comes on and we're left with our everyday here and now needs. Again, the past few weeks I've mentioned how one of the problems with our prayer lives is that they feel like laundry lists. And that phrase, laundry lists, feels kind of disparaging, doesn't it? But, but remember, the, the problem with our laundry list prayers is not that God gets bored, it's that we get bored. If our response to every need was to go to prayer, um, that is a holy person that does that. Uh, God would be so delighted if we went to him with every prayer, but, but of course, if we're only concerned with our lists, we get bored and, and we cease to pray. But we only bring our needs before God and we continue to do so when we are as confident that he is as good and great as Jesus makes sure that we grasp even through this prayer. And that's how he's teaching us to pray. And so this morning we're going to work through this prayer. I didn't put any notes in, in the bulletin or an outline in the bulletin, but it's a, it's a pretty straightforward breakdown. We're just going to reverse our daily bread. So we're going to ask the question, what are we to pray for, which is bread? When are we to pray for this? Daily. And then who, whose bread are we praying for? And that answer is our. Bread daily, our. And then we'll wrap up with some conclusions when we understand what Jesus is telling us to pray for. All right, so what are we to pray for? That answer is pretty straightforward. To some extent, it's bread. Simple enough. Jesus teaches us, ask your father for bread. Now, what does Jesus mean by bread? Well, I think he really means bread. This is the basic food eaten by everyone in the, the, the first century in the Middle East. Bread was a staple of the ordinary peasant's diet. And so if you had bread, you were likely going to live. If you did not have bread, that would indicate that you were probably going to survive. Bread was needed to live. So that's very simple. We're praying for that kind of bread. But it also functions as something more. It functions as a metonymy. A metonymy is a word that stands in for something different. And so let me give you common examples because we use them all the time. We say the state has the authority to wield the sword. Now we don't mean that our government has the authority to, to just carry a metal blade with a handle, right? The sword means authority. It means the force to, to back up that authority, to maintain the stability and the protection of a society through force. That's the sword. We talk about paying honor to the crown, and we don't mean that we honor a little gold gem-embedded hat, right? We're talking about a king and a queen and everything the monarchy represents. And so we also need to grasp this idea that let's keep on the table. Bread means flour, water, and a leavening agent. But it also stands for everything you need in this life as a human being enfleshed. Martin Luther wrote in his small catechism, remember he was a pastor uh, as well, and so he's writing to his congregation, this is, how you're, this is how we can understand what's in the Bible, and so like every catechism of the Reformation, it talks about the Lord's Prayer, and so he asks, you know, what is meant by daily bread? 
And this is what he said, which is very influential, very, um, uh, very historically important for how, how many of the churches thought about this petition. He says, daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body. And then he lists them, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. Everything needed to, to be a human being that can exist in relative peace, with our needs met. And so Jesus tells us, pray to your Father for bread. We're to ask God to give us what we need. Now, is daily bread understood in this way all that we need? No. Right? Jesus elsewhere teaches us something different. Think about before his ministry. He goes into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days. And, and the devil, the tempter, comes to him and he says, Jesus, you look, you look hungry. Uh, you know, if you're the son of God, just make these stones into loaves of bread and go ahead and eat. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we don't live by bread alone. Jesus teaches us in this temptation scene, your deepest needs probably aren't even physical. Your deepest needs are spiritual. And so we should be praying for spiritual bread, so to speak. We should be praying to grow in faith and knowledge that we would become more and more like Jesus. That we would be praying that God would fill us, our souls, our hearts, spiritually. But we can't get away from the most basic physical needs. We can't be more spiritual than Jesus here. And so Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread. We are praying to our Father as his sons and daughters, redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we've graduated into more spiritual thought. It means that your neediness has been wonderfully and graciously situated in this very concrete mercy and love of God. The cross of Christ and the empty tomb, they mean more than this, but they don't mean less uh, than God cares for you. God cares. The infinite, eternal, unchanging God cares about our personal, physical needs. Nothing is beneath God when it comes to his children, not food, not drink, not clothes, not your bills. As one writer puts it, he, he's the God of the nitty-gritty, day-to-day, demanding, mundane, unexcited realities. He's the God of us. He's the God of you and me, our lives as they are. He is aware of, of what we need, not just for our souls as if we're disembodied. No, he knows the needs of our bodies. And so what's the takeaway? It's that nothing is beneath him. There is no need. There is no request that is beneath God's your father. So you have a new job and you're in that probationary period where they're always emphasizing without cause. As in, you can be fired without cause. And your car breaks down on the way to work. What should you do? Oh, you better pray. You got a new boss or some restructuring in the department. There's no bad news, but you're a little bit concerned, so what should you do? You pray. You have a term paper due and your computer starts to act a little wiggy. What do you do? Pray. If you're sick, you better pray. Uh, if you struggle to sleep, pray. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You don't know how you're going to cover the bills this month. Pray. For the very simple reason that you have a Father in heaven who cares. And here's the thing. This is nothing new with Jesus. Uh, this is not some new revelation that Jesus is bringing to us. No, this is, this is Jesus saying, you know, this is who God always is. God always cares about his people. 
This is who God always has been. This is the God who descends in love to those who need. Psalm 146 is a good example. Very, very classic psalm that deals with God being so majestic and yet also the one who identifies with the lowly. So Psalm 146, Bless the Lord who made heaven and earth, the sea that is, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. And this same God executes justice for the oppressed. He, he gives food to the hungry, all right? So the God who created um, the universe, right? This universe that this James Webb telescope keeps giving us unfathomable details. We never could have imagined the kind of creator that God is. That same God, when he sees someone with power, abuse that power, he sees it. And he's upset with it, and he's going to do something about it. That same God gives food to the hungry. He lifts up those who are bowed down. That's what he demands of us to believe about him because that's how he has revealed himself to us. We don't get to tell a God who he is. He tells us who he is. And he says, this is exactly who I am. I am the God who watches over the sojourner, Psalm 146 continues. Those who are vulnerable because they are seeking life in a new land, I am their God. I uphold the widow and the fatherless. And so the God who numbers the approximately 200 billion trillion stars, he he sees the kid who doesn't have a dad and he cares. He sees with compassion the widow that belongs to him. And he sees her need. And so so much of Jesus' ministry is just reinforcing this is exactly who God is. The one whose heart that is moved in compassion by need. Can we grasp that reality? Think of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxiety on him. Why? And Peter tells us why. Because he cares for you. Jesus is teaching us to pray to our Father because he cares. Jesus teaches us as this in-flesh, physical, walking reality. This is God revealed to us. This is how much he cares. So what are we to pray for? Bread. Basic needs. What is immediately before us in order to function as human beings? Now, when are we to pray for it? And this is our second point. It's daily. Daily. All of the time. Through this prayer for daily bread, we are to daily confess our neediness of God. Uh, God could have set this up differently. There could be a a, a festival. There could be a day once a month or once a quarter where, yeah, of of course we need God to do things. And so we're going to, to have this day set apart to present our needs for God. God, here are my needs for the next few months. Or maybe once a week on Sundays. This is the day we come with our offering to God and say, God, we have needs. Will you provide for them That's not what Jesus says, and I think the reason is that would be spiritually dangerous. Now, Jesus says every day, you got to pray for your daily bread daily. The Father wants us to learn that we need him and that we trust him. And this makes sense because we need God every day, every hour, every minute. Uh, I I forgot who who said it, but but I think I said this quote earlier in the series where prayer is learned dependence. We just forget that we're dependent. So prayer is, is, is learned dependence. We remember who we are and who God is. Uh, it's a confession of our dependence, and it's also a confession of how fragile we are and how fragile our lives are. 
And so, for instance, we live in a world, we live lives that can turn in an instant. We can lose jobs overnight. Um, We can lose health. We can get diagnoses that change our lives. We can lose loved ones overnight. We can have accidents that change everything. We can lose societal stability. Nation can declare war against nation. And so give us our daily bread is not some mindless ritual. That's a reminder of how fragile life is. It's a confession that I understand how fragile life is. And so God, keep me close to you. Keep me, keep me dependent on you. And so the expectation here is that we are to be praying daily for our needs. Uh, this probably is, is no surprise, but Jesus is presenting us here this, this picture that says, yeah, the Christian life is the praying life. Not just sometimes, not just a couple times a week. It is the praying life daily. I don't think this is a guilt trip, right? Jesus isn't trying to guilt trip trip us here. Instead, he's wanting to show us how much God wants a relationship with us. God wants communion with you. Why did God save you? It wasn't because of your abilities and gifts. It's not because he needed your time and, and resources in order to build his kingdom. He saved you quite simply because he loves you. He had his eye on you. He saved you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Right? In the very first sermon in this series, we spent time looking at the first two words because that grounds our prayer life and our understanding of prayer. God is many things to us, but Jesus says you have to start with understanding that God is your father. It has to be grounded in understanding God is your father. We're not to pray to God as our boss. Can you imagine it constantly reaching out to your boss in the office, constantly checking in, you know, knocking on the boss's door saying, here are all the needs I have for the day. What would happen? Your boss would say, I'm, so, I'm busy. You should be busy. This isn't going to work. If you have a landlord, if you've rented an apartment or, or home, there are only a couple things a landlord wants, right? They want you not to destroy the place, but then really, essentially, they want you to pay your rent on time. And so can you imagine every single day reaching out to your landlord, hey, I just got some needs I want you to know about. Your landlord would say, we need some boundaries, don't we? But God is not your landlord. God is not your boss. He is your father. So consistent with what Jesus says elsewhere about the kingdom, he says, you have to enter my kingdom as what? A child. Matthew 18, 3, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But the the key insight here is that we don't enter the kingdom as children and then grow up into adults. We enter the kingdom as children and then we stay children. That's very different. The analogy breaks down to how we understand childhood, doesn't it? Let me give you an example of this. My youngest son, Sam, he's six years old. So it is my understanding, it's my vocation, my calling, uh, that every single day right now, he will need me to do something for him. Every day he will call out to me or his mom with needs that we, that we can meet for him. And that's a wonderful thing. Now sometimes that's irritating to me, but most of the time that's my sin, isn't it? Is that I have a will that needs to be pursued, and so here comes this needy little one, and he has a need, and that makes my heart a little bit bitter, but that's something I need to repent of. He has a much better father, and I do too as well. Now, when Sam is 36 years old, it is is the prayer of my heart, and I mean this uh, seriously, that, that he will still call me and that he will want advice, and that he will want um, wisdom, and that he will think of me as someone who can listen to his concerns. But if he is 36 years old and calling me every single day with needs, 
something went wrong, right? Something went wrong along the way because part of my job of parenting him is to make him more, help him become more independent and to be a better decision maker. But that's where the analogy breaks down. We enter the kingdom as children where we stay. Maybe this shows us independent, self-reliant Americans how radical prayer really is. I mean, what folly is it to a world that does not know the love of God? What foolishness it is to think we stay children, we stay dependent upon God. He wants to hear from you, and he wants to hear your needs every single day. That's how much he loves you. 1 John 3, 1, John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We're to pray for bread. We're to pray for it every day. And then finally, this is a brief point. Now, who are we to pray for? Um, whose bread are we, are we praying for? Now, the answer is, is actually really profound. Just like the whole prayer, basically, only makes sense in community. Uh, the, the prayer only makes sense. You can think of the most gifted professional cellist living in, in, in you know, Manhattan, and you can hear this cellist practicing, and her, her tone is unbelievable. She is a virtuoso. She's a genius, and yet uh, she sounds so much better when she's with the orchestra <laughs> because that's where the part makes sense. And, and I think there's something to be said about prayer. Um, yes, prayer individually is, is very much, we can say, everything, but, but this is a prayer that reminds us of the importance of of community, and let me let me tell you why. And maybe this is kind of nagging you a little bit because we have some some work to do with this petition in our culture. So I'm going to ask you three questions, and please don't answer them. Three questions: Have you ever had a hard time finding room in your refrigerator for leftovers? Right, you got the Tupperware and you got the takeout boxes. You open the fridge and say, "I have nowhere to put this. I'm going to have to throw away some stuff in order to make room." Have you ever pulled up to your, to your driveway with groceries and been like, the idea of taking these groceries and putting them away is overwhelming, and so you're just yelling out, hey, can someone help me with these groceries and, and help me put them away? Last question, have you ever put on some pants and said, you know, I could, I could probably lose a few pounds? Now, I've said yes to all these questions. And I think most of us have said yes to a couple of these questions at least. And so that means we have to get a little bit real, don't we? How do we pray, give us this day our daily bread, when daily bread is probably not that big of an issue for us? In fact, most of us are in danger of what? Too much bread. It's not that we don't have enough. I think this is why we pray, not give me my bread, but our bread. Because for some of our brothers and sisters in the family of God, you know, daily bread is a big problem. And so Jesus didn't say, just pray for your own needs. As the family of God, uh, give us today our daily bread. In the Westminster Larger Catechism, they understood this. They said, we pray for us and for others that both they and we would wait upon the providence of God. You might say it's a beautiful description of Christian prayer in general. We pray for us and for others. We pray for they and for we. Crucial reason for praying for our daily bread. To pray for our daily bread is to see ourselves next to those who are in need. To pray for them, but also to serve them. In fact, to join God in his care for the needy. Psalm 146, this is the God who gives food to the hungry. To have a proper relationship with need, uh, which means that when we have our needs met, we remember there are those who do not have their needs met. 
It's a prayer that can't just be concerned with my own well-being, but that of my neighbor wherever I find my neighbor in need. We pray this prayer in a church where needs arise. Such an important part of belonging to a church is that we're all over the map in terms of our needs, and so there's always someone in this room that has needs. That's a gift that God gives to us. Now, I think God also intended for the church not just to exist in this one location, but we're joined to a bigger church that has needs, and we're joined to an even bigger church. We have connections with missionaries and churches and communities across the world where we never come to the bottom of the pit where there is no need. There's always need. And so we always pray this prayer in a community of need, and we pray this prayer Open to finding ways that, get this, this is the real privilege, isn't it? That we can be the answer to someone else's prayer. We can be the answer to someone else's, give us this day, our daily bread. We can be shaped into the generosity of, of someone who, remember where this prayer took us, right? We exalt God's name. We have our hearts set on his kingdom. We seek God's will to be done. And so to pray this prayer is to open yourself up to being an instrument of God's generosity and care in this world. And I think that's integral to give us this day our daily bread, our. As we wrap up right now, let me just offer a few takeaways of, of how this prayer shapes us, what this prayer means for us. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, I think this is the kind of person the Holy Spirit is, is crafting, conforming us, shaping us to be. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you, you are being, being shaped into a person with deep gratitude. Deep gratitude to the God who provides for us. Gratitude that this prayer isn't trivial, but it is precisely where we stay connected to our Father in heaven. To be shaped into the kind of people of James 1, right? To to live our lives under this reality that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. It's a prayer for daily bread that teaches us to pay attention to how God is at work in our lives. And I would suggest this in in almost every cultural context, but I think we do feel it quite powerfully here. Uh, This is a prayer of protest, this is a prayer of protest to the modern spirit. Uh, when you say grace before a meal, and that is, that is the prayer that, whew, that can fall into meaningless ritual. But, but what if saying thanks before a meal uh, is this profound act of protest against a culture that says, I deserve, I alone have done this, it's my money, and it's my life. And we say, no, life is received. Give us this day our daily bread. God instills in us this reality, all of life. All of life is received. And so we're shaped into a people with deep gratitude, always looking to the hand that gives. Secondly, uh, contentment. To pray this prayer is to strive for for contentment, to realize where our contentment is found. Uh, God knows our needs before we express them. And so one of the reasons for this prayer is always to, to, to shine that light on the one who does give us all things. God knows what we need, and so we pray to him to be satisfied in him. Uh, Don't be anxious is maybe the the application of of this prayer. So in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, and then just a few verses later, he ties in this this teaching on anxiousness, which I, I know so many of us really grasp hold of, when Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. 
What you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And then Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't worry and God feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. They look more stunning than, than Solomon ever looked in his regal gown, and yet God just made them that way. And so Jesus' conclusion is, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. To be people who are shaped into those who are content. God withholds nothing that we need. He gives us everything we need. Praying our daily bread, right, that, that helps us cast ourselves on, on that God. And then finally, the, the, the final thing would be dependence. And we talked about this the whole sermon. It's all about dependence. This prayer helps us fight against our very, very natural but rebellious spirit of self-reliance so that we might cast ourselves on God. That we would not feed on the cheap, processed spiritual foods that leave our, our souls hungry, but that we would come to the bread of life who nourishes us. That we find our lives in the God who is for us, our Father in heaven, the God who cares for us, both body and soul, the God who sent his Son to save us from our sins of ingratitude, the one who bore our sins of self-reliance upon his own shoulders, who died, who had our covetousness nailed to the cross with him so that we would know God and we would find our rest in him. And so, beloved, remember that the one whose hand we receive bread for our bodies is the bread from heaven who satisfies our souls. We pray to the bread of life for bread in this life. <clears throat> we turn to this table. We partake of the bread of life. Jesus puts himself in our hands, and, and we know at this table where to find him. At this table, we don't wonder if God is for us. We know he is. Because he nourished us and he continues to nourish us with the bread of heaven. His own body that gives life to us. Let's pray. Lord, we cry out to you. We, we pray to you that, that you would do a work that only you can do among us this morning. That the Holy Spirit would be uh, so active in taking this word and, and sealing it to our hearts, that we would be changed. Lord, that we would not live here with, with just little deposits of, of knowledge, little deposits of information, but that we would leave here as those who are, are truly being formed, as those who pray this prayer genuinely, uh, to be shaped as those that, that, that find our contentment, that find our reliance upon you. Lord, that we would be a people known for our gratitude, our gratefulness because of the ways that you prove yourself over and over and over. Lord, would you do that work among us? Would, would you shape us into being that kind of people, that kind of community, always looking to you, always casting ourselves on you, knowing uh, because of the gospel uh, that you care for us? Lord, not just a spiritual, trite, trivial thing to say, but one of the most profound realities in the universe, that our God cares. Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for Jesus and, and the, the concrete reality which makes this uh, so true in our lives. And we pray this in his name. Amen.